quite a few years ago now, quite unexpectedly, someone thanked me for something I didn't know I had done. He showed up at my office one morning looking vaguely familiar, but I wasn't even close to placing how I might have known him. And he said, you probably don't remember me. My name is David. He told me we had met on a city bus 18 months earlier at a time when he had been in a particularly tough personal place. He was facing an excruciating decision. He recounted how embarrassed he had been at the time when tears welled up in his eyes as he spilled out his story to this stranger, me, on the bus. A foggy memory began to clear. I was taking a long ride home from uptown, downtown on the M15, and he had dropped something near my feet, as I recalled, which led us into a conversation. He was highly agitated, and I remembered that I said very little as he spilled out his story. I simply listened, murmuring a comment here and there, or a question once in a while. We spoke for, I'd say, 30 minutes or so. It was one of those interminably long bus rides. You know, from, you know what I'm talking about. Well, now in my office 18 months later, he reported that moment had been a crucial turning point for him. By the time he stepped from the bus to the curb, he had arrived at a decision. He was clear and he was free. And now David returned to thank me. Evidently, I had given him a business card in case he had wanted to follow up the conversation I didn't remember doing that, and then usually I'm out of cards. In any case, forgetting to reload my wallet, I never seem to have one when needed. He said he stuck that card in his pocket and lost track of it until recently when wearing that same jacket, the card popped out as he pulled out a glove. Well, I was rather taken aback by the effort he took to track me down I thought my small part in his tale was truly minimal compared to the size of his gratitude, so it seemed to me that uh, I didn't deserve what he was bringing. But you know, in his effort to find me, I learned something I have not forgotten over the years. It has to do with a thankful heart. That's what David had a thankful heart. He was a thankful man. He was full of gratitude. He made a generous contribution to the church, but more than that, I could tell, I could tell that to a large degree, this spirit of generous gratitude defined his orientation towards life. Now, I suppose one lesson drawn from this little episode might relate to how every moment is pregnant with potential. Every single one. I mean, you just never know. 
Even a ride home on the bus can turn out to be something unexpected. But while that's a pithy bit of practical wisdom, that isn't my focus today. Instead, I want to stick with this matter of thankfulness. I, I think it deserves some serious attention. You know, after David said his piece and went on his way, I was left with several questions. What's the status of my heart's gratitude quotient? How good am I at saying thank you for, to the people who populate my life and work? How gratitude-oriented am I in relation to God and to the mission I've claimed, namely to love very well God and neighbor? How sacrificially generous am I? How mindful of so many who have so little mired in many privations? And you know, in that moment, I recognize this. Sometimes it happens like this, doesn't it? I just, it, I recognize that this was a matter of some great spiritual significance for me personally. Paul's letter to the Philippians is my favorite biblical epistle. That's due largely to the obvious gratitude that permeates every paragraph. Paul clearly loves these friends and he cannot help letting his gratitude for them spill over. You heard him begin like this. I thank my God every time I remember you. Has everyone, anyone ever sent you a letter like that? I thank God every time I remember you. And from there, his sentiments explode with joy and goodwill and love. And this is all the more remarkable given that Paul wrote this letter from prison. That's where he was situated, in a Roman cell. Whenever it shows up in our lectionary, I'm struck by the juxtaposition of the gratitude that pours out of this man, even though he is locked behind bars. Thankfulness and joy and goodwill and love ooze from it's few pages, and the man writes from a first century Roman prison. You know, the story of David came to my mind this, this week because of the eulogies that were given at George Bush's funeral service in which it was recounted how often he sent letters of gratitude to people all of the time. It was one of his outstanding characteristics, always expressing gratitude. It brought me back to this. Now, part of the reason we read Paul's letter during Advent is his confident expectation of his vindication at the coming of Christ, as well as the vindication of the Philippians. But this is wrapped in a spirit of thanksgiving for the community they share together, how they have mutually supported one another, how they have attempted to advance the cause of Christ by loving God above all things and their neighbors as themselves. And though his life is one of significant hardship at the time, Paul is full of thanksgiving and love and goodwill and joy. Next week, we'll read another 
passage written from prison in which he instructs the Philippians to rejoice always. Always, he says. I suppose that's hyperbole. I mean, how could anyone rejoice always? Still, it points to a deep spiritual wisdom about our essential relationship towards life. Call it our fundamental point of view. Gratitude. That's the ground. Gratitude, the ground we stand on. Gratitude. And that's what occurred to me when David walked through the door those years ago. And as I said, you know how this is. You can think a thing is true until you smack up against it for real in your own experience, right? I could be preaching gratitude, 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 gratitude all the day long. And yet have it be three miles distant from my actual interior life. That is completely possible. And then one day a door and a window opens and it occurs to you what we're actually talking about. Reminds me of an old story about a pastor who was talking to one of his rural parishioners about the need to raise money for the church building fund. And trying to work into the subject subtly, he asked the farmer, now, now Bill, suppose you had a hundred horses. Would you give me 50 for the fund? And, and the farmer said, yes, absolutely. And the pastor asked, and if you had a hundred cows, would you give me 50 of those? And Bill said, well, of course, I would. And then the pastor asked, well, now, if you had two pigs, would you give me one? And the farmer immediately said, now, cut that out, pastor. You know I have two pigs. <laughs> we call that clarity. <laughs> clarity, it finally dawned on Bill what was being asked of him. It was a small thing for sure, this encounter with David in my office, but a window opened on the matter of the thankful heart. I hadn't been expecting it, but there it was. All of us have met persons with this fundamental disposition towards life, I suspect. That is, persons with what I'm calling a thankful heart. I bet if I asked, most everyone here could think of such a person they've known. And inevitably, we enjoy their company. They are, are they not, life enhancers. They are givers. They are not takers. And, isn't, and it isn't dependent upon one's material position. All of us know that stuff and things do not make a thankful heart. The consumerist mindset of more and more often leads to its opposite. A thankful heart is instead an inner disposition or orientation towards life that no matter what we have or where we are, even in prison behind bars of some sort or another, it does not matter. 
Here's the other thing to note from Paul's letter to his friends. Their evident care for one another and Paul's expression of thanksgiving are evidence of God's presence with and among them. In other words, their thankful community is already a harbinger of Christ's coming. As they await their vindication, they are already living in a manner that's consistent with the qualities of Christ's kingdom. Thankfulness and gratitude characterize the household of God. That's why Paul can tell them to rejoice in all things. Well, if that's true, then you can see pretty clearly one way of responding to John's call to prepare the way of the Lord at this time of year. We can prepare by considering this matter of thanksgiving, reflecting on the matter of our thankful hearts, such as they are or aren't. Here's the good news, no matter your particular situation at the moment, you might be the crabbiest person in the world, the least grateful, but I'm going to give you a piece of good news right now. Thankfulness is especially susceptible to the practice of the folk wisdom to fake it till you make it. I don't care who you are, what your attitude has been, how grasping and petty you've been, it does not matter. Because this day, right now, I swear to you, you can say to yourself, by God, I am going to fake it till I make it. I'm going to fake my thanksgiving until I make it. And I'm going to pray to God that my heart will be opened and filled with overflowing love, joy, and gratitude. Did you know you can pray for gratitude? Did you know that? If it is something you feel like you could use a little bit more of, you can open your hands and your heart and you say, Dear God, help me to live more gratefully. Help me to live more gratefully. Please help me to live more gratefully. There is no better season, no better time to reestablish your basic orientation towards life than today. The desire for a thankful heart is a very noble desire, one of the noblest. And part of this spiritual practice includes developing a prayer of thanksgiving. You could make a little Advent mantra, keep it to a sentence, something like, as I've suggested, loving God, thank you for this day, or maybe generous God, give me a thankful heart today. It sounds simple, I suppose, but I guarantee that if you surround that short prayer with silent intention, you will discover transformative power. I have found it so myself. It, that prayer will change you. You know, it's not every proposition that can guarantee an outcome. That one is a guarantee. And then every day, purposefully thank someone for something. Every day, be intentional. It would be fine for you to make a list if that's your style. In fact, when you go home today, I suggest to you that you jot down three names of people you should thank. 
But you got to jot them down because that anchors our intention. You might be thinking right now, well, I'll, yeah, I'll get to that. When you go home, jot them down, anchor your intention, and then follow through. Three names. Here's something I don't have to fake at all. My great, great gratitude for really wonderful colleagues here. I have great colleagues, both professional and volunteer. I have really good work among an increasingly thankful community. I have a loving, supportive, and challenging family. I have some really good friends. I am deeply thankful for this. For you. For you. And I am increasingly aware that embedded within these good things resides the Spirit of Christ. You know, this isn't complicated, friends. We sometimes think the theological task is a highly complicated process and procedure of things we've got to learn and think out and do, subscribe to. I'm giving you the heart of the matter. It starts in gratitude. It's anchored in gratitude. Acknowledging what is what you have already. This life and breath and people who populate your lives. I sense that the more I exercise my thankfulness, the closer Christ draws near. You feel far away from God, you feel God is far away, exercise your gratitude muscle. You'll be surprised at how close Christ draws near. There's a mystery in this. But then mystery is part of the wonder of this season, isn't it? <laughs> it's a mysterious season. You want to experience the true spirit of Christmas? A thankful heart is the one essential ingredient. And if you have that, Christ will come for certain.